Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Good morning. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm Carolyn Ford, and I'm here with Eric Traxler. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. Our first recording in the new year. Isn't it great it is. to be in a new year? Actually, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad to have 2020 behind us. Yes. So today we have Mike Krause, who's Director of Insider Threat Strategies for Forcepoint, and Jared Quantz, who's an Insider Threat Program Manager for the government. And we're going to talk about what, an insight, what a successful Insider Threat Program looks like, how the privileged user factors into that, and of course, I'm just going to kick us off, um, Jared. I I, I want to know if Sunburst, Solar Winds, that massive breach that has so many names right now, um, if it's affected the way you do things in your insider threat program. Hold, hold on one second. First of all, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Back to Thanks. you, Carolyn. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Thanks. I get Thanks. straight to the point, guys. I know, I know you do. I know you do. It's great. I like that. And I already no felt welcome, around. but I can appreciate. Uh, <laughs> okay. So appreciate. let's hit the question. So has the, has, has this recent solar winds issue impacted my job? No. Uh, have we worked on it? Yes. So uh, my lead engineers checked um, our solar winds implementation and uh, determined that we don't have any issues with it. So it's affected it in the sense that we've had to do some work but it hasn't changed the way we do anything at the office. Not yet. And I don't expect that it will. I, ex I wouldn't have expected it to at this point, but I expect a few months down the road, it will have some implications. We will have to make some changes to some things. Just can't see what those are yet. So what about, I know that a lot of things that happened um, once the adversary got in, they created, they came in through privileged user accounts. They created new privileged user accounts if they had breached your networks, is that something that you would have been able to detect? Like the creation of a new privileged user account by a supposed privileged user? So it depends on what you mean by your. There is a, uh, there is a network um, that me and my team run. So the answer would, would be yes. Um, we would have absolutely detected that instantly. Um, now, as far as the multiple enterprises that we support where I work, I'm unsure that they would have been able to detect it. And I would, uh, I would venture to say, um, yes, but not in a particularly timely fashion. Okay. I got to ask, why would you be able to detect it and not every other program out there? Like that seems like a big deal to be able to detect. Sure, sure, sure. No, that's easy. Um, the network that I run only has about 15 users. So that's, okay. that's, that's really easy. But okay. if you're, so if you're an enterprise though, with thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of users, it becomes massively more complex because of the scale, right? It does. And you know, you, you have, um, far more privileged users, um, where, where if we see a new privileged user pop up on our network, we're going to recognize that that name's not even right. Um, right. or that the account shouldn't even be there. But even in an organization that has, you know, somebody small, like 20,000 users, I mean, what, you, what do they have? Probably 
I don't know, 20 admins and still have a lower likelihood that um, any one name is going to be recognized if that um, if there's an alert set up that a new a new super user, or a new privilege user was created. So I've, I've worked with organizations where, um, you know, I'd, I'd say administrators. Let's consider an administrator. Is that fair, Michael? Administrators, a privileged user, others also, but they've had, I mean, it, it's out of control, right? It, it, they've had thousands of administrators in different um, different components of the business because people needed to administer this server or this system. That just seems like a unfathomable problem to me. Like what's another two people, two users, when you have 12,000 privileged users? Or, and or they don't control just- it, by the way. You know, we, we talked about it before. Some, and even when somebody gets access as a privileged user, like you give somebody access, when you come into a, an right. organization, the first thing you do is they say, okay, what accesses do you need? Especially if you're an administrator. Okay, they set you up. You need access this. But then you change your job or your role. Organizations, sometimes organizations they don't, don't invoke that access. those access. Right, exactly. No, they don't. They just keep on adding, 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 adding. Before you know it, you know, I'm an administrator. I have... Accesses, I don't even need them. So I think it's that ability to control what accesses uh, each individual has and being able to not only bring them back to reality and say, hey, you're changing a role. You don't need these, you know, access to database one, two, three anymore. Well, and to your point, to your point, Mike, the recent survey that Poneman did around privileged users, they surveyed government um, IT shops, insider threat program shops. And they found that I think the numbers two thirds. Let me let me just check. Yeah, a, th- a third, a third of the respondents said that I'm, I'm looking at my stats right now. That m- many did not need privileged user access. Like meaning they didn't need it, but they had it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so, never got so, revoked, just like Mike said. Okay, so Jared, from your perspective as a, as an you know as as an operator in this space. How would you, you know, I guess the recommendation would be create fewer privileged users, keep it tight. And when they don't need privileges, remove them. But how would you, from an insider threat perspective, go about thinking about that problem? Like, like how do you monitor them as they, as they do expand? Or you don't see that as much? That was a, that was a lot. I know I get that way. Sorry. <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> kind of around. And you got the um, benefit of seeing my hands fly around. <laughs> yeah. So I started moving mine. Hopefully I would snag an idea that I'd be able to respond with. Um, so first off, I think that, you know, uh, all operators, uh, every, every job has, it has its own version of the operator and, mm-hmm. you know, it guys generally are the operators in the it space. And most operators that are successful have a shoot move mentality. And right. uh, they don't have a clean the battlefield mentality. And that's that that is why I think you end up with um, dirty active directories with a tremendous amount of uh, um, unrecycled IP addresses, um, defunct workstations and old accounts. And you can probably go into our enterprise and find some fake account called uh, uh, Captain Kirk, uh, which was an actual account on our network at one time. Privileged user or just user? No, no, just a regular user. Okay. Uh, But it's still, it was just, it was admins having fun, you know, just, just for the hell of it. They wanted to be able to pull it up in the global address list. But I mean, I think you can, you can see that 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 there's a risk that exists there with a fake account. Um, And so that's a, that's a bad idea to have, even if you're just having fun. 
to the privileged users, I would say keep it tight. Uh, but I think there is a balance. I think you're always going, I think it's going to be necessary that you always have people that have more access than what they presently need. Um, I, because I think as a manager, you need your people to have as much access as the worst problem you can conceive of facing yeah, in the future. Agreed. Right. Um, and the worst problem could be that only one of your 50 people is available. And you have a, you know, if tier four is your highest tier, you have, you have a tier four problem and only one person is available and it's the newest, most junior person. And now you need that person to have uh, the ability to solve a tier four problem. Yes. That and, mission, it's that mission convenience versus security. It's that ultimate right. struggle about once again, you know, Hey, I've got mission, mission I've got security and who wins in remote is not helping it. I mean, it's COVID is, I think, heightened it. Maybe or made that more like, okay, even with COVID, you don't have Mike Krause sitting beside Jared and we're admins that we can say, hey, can you give me access to this now? You know, I got to get on the phone. I got to call Jared. Well, Jared is, you know, on leave or Jared is not available. I can't get him on the phone. You know, maybe he's in a Zoom call like we have so many Zoom calls. He can't talk. And I have my boss busting my chops going, hey, I need access. I need access to this data. Give me it now. So it's that I think. The remote is just causing more of a concern, heightened awareness for people. I, I don't have technology in mind, but if if there was a way to create task specific accesses for privileged users, I think that would be very helpful. Or even time based, right? You, you you've got an hour to do this, and then these permissions dissipate. I, I always think about it in the virtualization world. You know, when when virtualization came around, it started in the you know in, in the uh, dev test environments. You could create servers, you could create resource pools, you could create all these environments, but nobody, you know, I don't see the cleanup as much in the virtualization world as you would like as, as far as cleaning your house on, on the back end, cleaning the battlefield, I think you said, Jared. I see the same thing with privileged users, right? Once I grant it to you, I'm not going to necessarily rescind it because I just don't, I don't remember to do that. I don't remember to shut these virtual machines down because I'm not using them anymore, um, it expands the attack surface. It, and I, th- I think it's a hygiene issue. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you're the first person I've heard um, say something like that because I had the exact same thought, which was like virtual profiles. Um, I have privileged users sitting around who don't necessarily have privileged access to anything. They're just earmarked as privileged users because they're my folks that are going to go resolve these issues that require privileged access. And as a task comes around that needs to be completed, I can create a virtual profile for you that responds specifically to the needs of the task. And when the task is over, either by time or completion of a checklist of events, then your uh, virtual privileged profile disappears and boots you out. Now, right. again, that's what Star Trek technology. I don't know that I'm not thinking I, of, tech. I, I, I don't I'm thinking know. Is of it? solutions. I mean, it's I almost no equivalent to working at Avis and leaving the keys in all the cars and leaving them running because they were used at one time and not shutting them off when no one's in them or using them, right? I mean, we secure those vehicles. We secure things appropriately when we're not using them anymore in the, in the physical world. I just, I don't, I don't know that in the virtual world, whether it's creating user accounts or VMs or, or systems or whatever it is, that our hygiene is just good enough. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't spent enough time thinking about it. We might have to baseline. I mean, one of the questions I always ask is, are we baselining just like we do a user, are we baselining privileged users' activities based upon what they do, not based upon what their role is? 
Like if I'm looking at a user that says, you know, I see this user, his role is X, but their activity is Y, you know? And then as we talked about before, how does their role ch- or how does their activities change? You know, cause I, my activities could change or what I'm accessing and not accessing, but my role could stay the same. So are we baselining right. privileged users properly? Just like we're doing regular users because, you know, look at, you know, even the solar winds or activities like that. The idea is that, and I think Jared, you mentioned that you have to identify the change. It's not so much the activity there. You have to identify the change, whether it's the change in network baselining, whether it's change in a user, whether it's change in privileged user. You know, I think that's our the most difficult thing is to baseline an individual or baseline a privileged user or an admin well, so you can see if he or she changes their role or he or she changes their activities over time. To me, that's, exactly. that's and the we hardest can, thing to do. We can do that, right? I mean, we can baseline people now. So why... <laughs> Why yes. why didn't <laughs> no. we base why didn't we baseline like when these new privileged user accounts were created that's not normal why didn't we and when i say we i mean like everybody besides me the royal. why wasn't that gotcha. yeah, yeah, why wasn't it detected that these new privileged user accounts were created but who we, I think the answer is the the so where are user accounts created and what tools are used on that device, on that software, um, to alert you that a new account's been created. And, and, and how the, interesting is that? And, and, and does the bad actor it? have the ability to wipe the log showing that was created if they're a privileged user? They may have access to to delete records from logs. Now that that's particularly interesting because when you delete logs off of a server, you create a log that you deleted the log. And that's anybody right. who's smart and writing writing alerts for servers, now this gets into auditing. Um, enterprise architecture, which is so boring, nobody wants to do it. And it's so much data that nobody right. wants to do it. So it's this large, looming issue that nobody's really dealing with. Um, somebody probably is, but largely I consider it to be not being dealt with. But a good alert would always be instantaneous notification of the production on an enterprise piece of hardware of that specific event. All the logs were just dumped the dumped logs log was created. Uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's one that anybody who's doing um, log analysis would be looking for to be notified of instantly. But how are those, uh, once but, again, are they that's changing boring. That, but is that data being shared across different stakeholders? That, that to my point is, you know, like for example, the, the, well, who's, the who, log. You're, 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 yeah. Yeah. Who's, whose job is that? Right. Yeah. So whose job <laughs> is it to audit the, auditable logs, the security logs, the administrative logs, et cetera, et cetera, of any given enterprise. And how many pieces of hardware out there are generating these, you know, millions of logs per however long it takes to make a million logs a week, a month, um, per piece of hardware. So on any given um, enterprise running 50,000 user base that's, let's say, a military type, how many how many physical servers are we talking about? How many right. logical servers are we talking about? And then all of each one of those has its own auditable set of logs. And do you know which ones are interesting? Do you know which ones you can completely eliminate from review? And whose job is it to review that one? Well, I can tell you this. The very first time I asked the question, which is we're talking like uh, 2000, 2005, um, I asked the question, who's auditing these three servers that are TSSCI servers over here? And a particular person said, I'm actually doing that right now. And I said, oh, good, because I'd like to see the results of your audit. And this person said, well, come have a look. And <laughs> it was on 
printed Excel spreadsheet. It was about that tall and it was hold, hold on. that tall like, being two feet of paper printout. Yeah. Yeah. And with a highlighter, with a highlighter. What? And I just went, oh, okay. I, we, that's, yeah. that's the old, that's the old insider threat days, Jared. That's, that's what we used to do whenever, before we had like technology, we used to have a bunch of packet logs that we would bring to the CISO and go, Hey, here is somebody moving data outside your organization. And the CISO goes, what do you mean? He goes, see this packet here. And then, then you leave through another 20 pages. Oh, that packet over here is the same packet there. Leave through another 20 pages. Oh, that packet's over there. Before you know, you got a stack of, you know, network logs and router logs and switch logs and go, Oh, here's your insider threat case. And you show it to somebody and somebody goes, I can't make any money. Don't worry, Carolyn. It's 2020. We've come a long way, haven't we, Jared? (laughs) We have less paper now. I'm dying, guys. We scoff at these ideas when we talk about them anecdotally like this, but at least those people were doing Doing those jobs, right? Because the worst story that we should really scoff at is we say, hey, who's auditing these servers? And everybody says, not me. I don't know or no one. Yeah. So good for them. I ended up taking uh, the, the entire enterprise boundary um, IP schema, all of its connections with packets going out to specific uh, locations, very, very specific protocols. It was such an amount of data. I took it out to a, uh, uh, an unnameable place and loaded it up into a, uh, a virtual reality system, tossed on the goggles and started looking at the uh, Tony Stark <gasps> array. You did not do minority I, report. I no, love that. no, no. I, I, I pulled a Tony Stark, <laughs> Tony Stark and I actually nice. found what I was looking for. Which was amazing. It took all this data that was two, 40 feet of paper, put it into a VR system, started pushing things around in this massive spider web, and found exactly what I was looking for. You know, you know so I was that going was to interesting. Say, yeah, I, I was going to say this is we talk about a, a, a AI and, and machine learning a lot on the show. And this to me is a perfect example where machine learning would really come into play, right? Automating that, that grunt work, if you will, no longer printing it out, Carolyn where the system could figure out, you know, human and machine teaming could figure out what's going on and where the interesting areas are to look. Well, and yeah. tell me that's where we we are now, Jared or Mike. I, I think machine learning is taking a little bit. I said, I kind of read an article from, there's a dark reading article or something that said, you know, it's machine learning or AI is really kind of replacing your tier one SOC analyst. So you know that analyst that used to look at a screen and used to look at each event, each incident, and kind of triage go down analyst. and paint, triaging and triaging. And now what you're seeing is machine learning and analytics taking that triaging somebody's doing and then providing a outcome or a result or an indicator or a risk to the tier two SOC analyst, analyst who is who is responsible for deep diving investigating and saying, hey, this is something that we really need to take a look at. So I think as machine learning and AI matures and we reduce the false positives, because that was one of the things the Ponemus study said, you know, one of the big issues they had is having too many false positives, right? That was one of the big things they said with organizations that are dealing with too many false positives. We see this in commercial. I would love to see if Jared's seeing the same thing, you know, too many false positives are dealing with within their technologies and how they're addressing that. Because I think that's one of the biggest risks to any effective program, being able to kind of get through that noise. So Jared, do you so, see that in yours? Uh, yeah, we're far more capable of dealing with false positives using things like data scientists to create algorithms and to create machine learning. I won't go as far as artificial intelligence uh, because yeah, I, I would argue that that might not even exist today. That's that's why um, I stayed with ML. 
I yeah, agree. yeah, yeah. No, I'm that that, well, who, that comment wasn't AI? for you. That's was it me. I have to know. Anyway, well, maybe it was me, and I just took it off the table. Um, I we're pretty far along with using machine learning to reconcile high rates of false positives. Uh, you know, especially to replace our old system of what did you say the false positive rate is? Ninety five percent. Get rid of it. Get rid of all of the data. Get rid of the signature. Get rid of everything. Ninety five is too high. I'll lose the five percent. Uh, that was the old way. Um, as far as what Carolyn asked um, about using um, machine learning for you know reconciling that log issue, that's a big ask. I mean, you have to presume that so that the you would need the data you would need to train a machine learning algorithm with supervised or unsupervised would have to come from a network that you presumed was already completely sanitized. And then it would have to be populated by users that you would already presume are all good guys. So you'd have to set that up outright. I'd have to call somebody like MITRE who knows how to control human behavior prior properly prior to the instantiation of a, uh, of an experiment uh, just to get them to set up the people properly so I could set up a forensic network clean, then load up a machine learning algorithm that I hope works and then task people to do simulated stuff and start teaching this machine what it can get rid of to try and handle the false positive issue. Other than that, all I can do is supervise learning of past events where I've noticed that these criteria were met in this particular situation. And one of those criteria was these audit logs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, then if I'm able to detect or aggregate that data so that it, the data can come into a back end and then be pushed to this ML and flagged, then I'm, then I'm cooking with gas. So it still sounds really manual. Are you telling me these stacks? Everything's of, manual at first. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, there's no perfect, there's no magical answer a, here. Right. But at some point, there has to be some level of automation. Automation. Is that the automation. You, yeah, <laughs> automation. Yeah, no, you, you get to it, but you, nothing's going to rescue you from the, <laughs> the massive amount of work you have to do to get there. You still need eyes on it. And also, too, you also seem to determine what data is useful. I mean, to me, it's I mean, there's a lot of data that's really not relevant. I mean, we're using. Of we, course, we have we have so mm-hmm. much data up here in a big funnel that really probably, you know, maybe 30, 40 percent is actually reasonable data that shows business results or outcome results. This other noise up there, and that takes a human, that takes an individual to determine what is the useful data that can drive an algorithm, a drive a machine learning that can give you the results that you need. You just can't start throwing data at the problem. Throwing data at the problem is not the way to solve this. No, that's true, but in a similar fashion, throwing problems at a name like ML isn't the solution either. Throwing problems at a group that you arbitrarily call cyber isn't a solution, and it doesn't excuse any uh, any actions going forward. I think an issue like solar winds or any other issue that may crop up in the future, the question is always going to be what what would have been the quickest way to detect this, and can we implement that now? And we talked a lot about these logs, but is that the most efficient and effective way for for detecting this? And the answer is I don't I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but if the if the worst thing they did to us or the critical juncture was the creation of um, of uh, fake personas in the privileged user space, um, the answer is if we're not detecting new privileged user crea- account creations, 
why and let's do it tomorrow if we're not detecting that those are there we need to detect those that those are there tomorrow and if it's important to us we'll do it manually if necessary we'll okay, go so in Jared, every I, single day i have a question because i think in a lot of cases organizations did not detect right the sure. adversary coming in through the through the breach with in the case of sunburst and maybe others we're going to discover in the future as mm-hmm. an insider threat expert <sighs> Once, yeah, I know, half hefty, right? <laughs> Easy once, there. Once you recognize that the adversary is in or likely inside your network, how do you think through that problem? Like, where does your mind go? What are the first things you do? The cyber team comes to you and says, we've got a problem. We, we, we believe, we don't even know, we believe the adversary is inside our network. You say, well, how'd they get there and when? And they say, well, we're not sure yet. And 10 months ago, maybe, maybe as long as 10 months ago, where does your mind go next? How do you think through that problem set? Like an interrogator. Uh, so I have a lot of different things in my background. I'm not a uh, trained interrogator per what the Marine Corps would allow me to say from my from my past with them. But I have been trained in interrogations and I would I re- Everything that I do to assess a situation starts with interrogation and interview skills. So if somebody and I have been on the receiving end where we believe this is what's going on for things that actually happened and things that didn't happen. And so if you come to me and say, I believe the adversaries in our network, I say, why do you believe that? I can give you a million scenarios. I got called up by the department level and said, you need to get down here to us. We have to brief you on this uh, classified breach. So I go running down there and they say, uh, this is actually happening. And this ha- happened in the federal government in somewhere around 2008 or 2009. Um, you have an active breach in your network. That's what they told me when I showed up. And I said, uh, okay, I'm going to need more than that. I, you're talking to the action arm here. Just give me um, a little bit more, right? Right. And they said, well, if you come to our meeting next Thursday that we have on all of our Thursdays, we'll explain more. And I said, well, you don't understand. Oh I just briefed people with stars on their shoulders that we have an active breach. And they said, yeah, you, you do. And I said, well, I need some, some evidence of that. Like, why do you think that? And they said, well, um, again, we don't have time to discuss that. We're on our way to a meeting. And they, we couldn't overcome the fact that their need to get to this meeting seemed to exceed my need to understand enough information about this breach to be able to go start working on it. And I never got to the root of that in that moment, but a week later on Thursday I did. And it was simply that this organization had a uh, philosophical disagreement with the intelligence community over the origins of a particular intrusion set. And so they thought that um, some DNS queries were indications, full positive indications of adversary implantation. And, you know, so that's one scenario where somebody's come and said, we believe we've been infected. And that's why that's why I think the part of the detection phase lasts so long is because people that are actually trying to reconcile it need to get to the uh, to a core attribute of what you've asserted to be able to put any work to it. They know what their tools are. Um, if you can at least tell me that I've got a beacon coming out of my network, that's gonna let at least let me start. Like, where's it calling to? Give me the give me the call address. I'll scan the boundary. Give me something. Um, okay. So so let's go let's go to Sunburst, right? The, Jared, we know the adversary got into our network theoretically here. 
And we know that they're, they've compromised Active Directory, Exchange accounts, and O365 accounts. Where do you go next? <laughs> like, how well, do you start? How do you start working that problem? What do you What do you think about? Uh, well, if 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 I already know that they have created privileged user accounts, I start with that. Okay, so I already have a list that I can actively query of all the people with privileged user accounts, and I can look that back. I can look back in time and see that that number's changed, and it's. Because it's all digitized, because I've dumped and periodically redump all of the of the um, uh, user account data into my own database, uh, I can just easily run a differential on that, pull a new load of it today, run a di- and run the differential and see what's been created that's new. And just as a point of caution, eliminate, call down to the net defense guys and say, you need to eliminate all of these accounts. And they may say, well, oh, Johnny Stevens was physically in here two days ago. I made that account myself. And I'll right. still say, okay. you need to freeze that. So that's starting point one. If I'm on o- O365, that means I've outsourced to the cloud, which is a word that I hate. Um, maybe I'm with Amazon. Maybe I'm straight up with Microsoft. Uh, I'm calling them. So that's my, that's my second step. And, okay, uh, so you're really you, looking at the account creation timeframes and narrowing it down that way. Yeah, I, I don't know specifically what I'm looking for. All I know is that you've told me that I've been popped and here are some of the activities um, where I've been that indicate that I've been popped. Here are the general areas I need to go look. User accounts, or privileged user accounts, O365 has been popped. That doesn't that, that doesn't actually mean anything to me. Well, they've infected O365. Okay, well I better call Microsoft. If, if you're going to give me general information, I don't mean you, I mean anybody, you give me general information, then my reaction is going to be just as general, but with a sledgehammer. I don't know which privileged user accounts have been infected. Turn them all off. Go. Okay. And really, you don't but even you have, have technology. But you have the telemetry, have the telemetry don't you, Jared? You have telemetry built around these users. You know, you could go back and pull your user telemetry to look at a mm-hmm. person's For every five minutes person. that I spend dealing with that. Right. Yeah. They have an additional five minutes in the network. So it's a matter of how critical is this and how broad or how abstract is the description of, of what's happened to my network. My reactions, if I can take the action that I want to take, if it's just a recommendation, whatever, but m- my reaction or my recommendation is going to be equivalent to the risk posed or the threat posed and the vagueness of the information that I have about the attack. Yeah, it right. comes back so, to that okay. old that old dwell time thing. But we're we're gonna have to end here, even though I could keep talking about this probably all day. So um, I want to end with a few rapid fire questions. I'm gonna ask them to you first, Jared. So get get your drink here. All right, here we go. Uh, what have you binged on TV and loved? <laughs> what have I binged on TV and loved? Yes. Lately, binge watching, Game, Game yeah. of Thrones period, lost, binged that, loved it. Um, All right. Cobra Kai, binged, loved, getting ready really? to watch the, uh, yeah, love Cobra Kai. Okay. Yeah, I'm an old, okay. old, old fan. I, and in Mandalorian. Karate Kid. Okay. okay. Yeah, Man- Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. And they, they turned it around. I'll tell you what, second season turned it around for me with Mandalorian. But okay. That was the um, way. What are you reading right now? <laughs> the notes I made for the, no, like generally, uh, Bertrand Russell. Uh, analysis oh. mind. Okay. Um, do you nice. have a cybersecurity or an insider threat must read? 
Um, I haven't written it yet. Okay. No, Good. no, We're I waiting. don't. We're waiting for it. Okay. Yeah. Now you're on record. <laughs> All right. If there's some, if there was one thing you could change um, within your insider threat program, within cybersecurity, just like wave your magic wand, as Eric would like to say, um, what would it be? What would you change? No, it's I, it's, yeah, I know what I would change. Take your time. This is a big one. No, I know what I would change. I would I would change the amount of external influences that could um, modify what I do. What do you mean I by would, that? Well, there there are a few things. Um, so I would I would get a synchronized message coming out of the law the 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 law offices as they were. All the lawyers would generally have the same tale to tell. Um, I wouldn't have this constant dichotomy of you have to worry about what the judge is going to say versus you have to worry about the court of public opinion, which are two things that are never going to be the same thing. So which am I pandering to while I'm working? Uh, instead of having one group of lawyers say that and the other group of lawyers say, you know, one go for the judge and one go for the court of public opinion, I would just have them come up with what is the pick one or pick a narrative you want me to play to from a legal perspective. Uh, from a policy perspective, I would have the same thing. I would say before you leverage this policy, why don't you accept the burden of ensuring that it's consistent with all of the other policies out there? Why is it me on the user level that constantly has to reconcile? I'm not a policy expert, except that I have to follow a bunch of policies. I don't even write very many of them. So why is it now incumbent upon me to take this policy that you created and deconflict it with all the other ones that are out there and answer for how I'm going to navigate them all? Why didn't you do that from the outset? Why is that not your charge? So okay. I would have these external influences sink themselves prior to arriving on my doorstep because that people talk about moving quickly, right? Getting onto the target quickly, um, assessing the situation quickly, whatever, you know, remediating hacking issues or insider threat issues. What takes most of my time is dealing with external influences coming in that haven't been pre-synced and then having to spend inordinate amounts of time meeting with people to uh, counter influence these things back out. And, and that, I, think, that's, I think, Mike, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think this comes back to the Poneman question on the survey about regulations. Um, yeah, the industry. Mandates, yeah, I was thinking right? about that but, same thing because we talked about it before. There was there was a question on yeah. you know what is the biggest struggle? Is it they talked about increasing number of regulations in industry mandates? So yeah. and that is that is a struggle I think all the programs have and the changing with the different views, even the different views of administrations. Because, you know, Jared's going to be dealing with that again as we change the administration over to, you know, a new administration, new people are coming in. There's going to be new lawyers. There's going to be new views. There's going to be new interpretations of laws and of regulations. Yeah. And that's going to impact the ability of the insider threat program. Maybe not to the extent we think it was, but that's just more work that's from the user pr practitioner point of view that they have to deal with. That takes him well, away let me squeeze, from. Let me let me squeeze this in because you hit the nail on the head. My tech, my lead technician, my lead engineer just emailed me last week and told me that the current form of the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, that hasn't yet been signed, has language in it that obligates us congressionally to um, cover down on mobile platforms, insider right. threat monitoring, and mobile platforms. 
I could speak for an hour on that. Um, and and yeah, I'm sitting here going, one. yeah. Now, our obligation is a 180-day window to report back to them how we're going to deal with the problem. And it may just be scribble that says, can't do it, you know, but... <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole show on how you're going to secure You might just want to hold up a little thing so dollar signs goes, can do it. It's not a little dollar (laughs) sign up there. It's actually going to say you need to design a new mobile device. Right. Yeah, that's it. We're going to crash everything that you try to put us on. Yeah, that's a that's a real problem. I've spent a lot of time there and mobile is really difficult to monitor. All right. right, We're rapid fire now to you, Mike. Uh Oh, what? what what have you watched on TV lately that you love? The Boys, Amazon Prime. Oh, oh yes, my dude. gosh, yes, that was awesome. Okay, um, what are you reading right now? Oh, you know I just finished reading uh, Mike Tyson's email. Uh, Mike Tyson's autobiography in the back in the it? day. It's it's just like Tyson and whatever it is. I thought it was pretty yeah. interesting just to see all the dealings because he's been in news. He had that fight that was just with uh, you know that with Roy Jones Jr. which. I actually watched, which I thought was entertaining. It's entertainment value, but I so I picked that up and just kind of refreshed my what a weird life he's had. I thought that was interesting. What about um, a must read for cybersecurity or insider threat practitioners? You know, I don't have a must read. Uh, I read more articles on. I don't read books per se. I go and read articles on you know that come out, get published, I have findings. You know, podcasts like you have for cyber. I would be lying to say I have a must read, you know, because I kind of look on and web and I kind of absorb through the web. Well, and it's kind of the nature of cyber and insider threat, right? It's yeah, it's changing. Have, it's always changing. You got to go for those fast hits. It's fast. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. The right. book's going to be titled "Nobody Knows What They're Doing." <laughs> yeah, or no, nobody's figured <laughs> it out yet. Jared. Yeah, Jared has to figure it out. I, I, I tell you, if Jared wants to write a book, I, I will co-author it, and you know, and just kind of, and we'll have fun. Yeah, You're that'd be awesome. Lost. All right, so Mike, you wave your magic wand. What's the one thing you would change? Oh, with an insider threat programs or um, risk programs? Or cybersecurity, but yeah. yeah. I, I think there needs to be a tighter coupling between, you know, the people that are doing user activity monitoring, your insider risk programs, and uh, cyber. I think there's there's too many stovepipes, in, not within mm-hmm. the government, but also within commercial that there's not enough communication. They don't share the data. They don't share lessons learned from what each of them done. I think there's duplication of technologies uh, that could yeah. be used uh, to solve one mission. So I, I would love to see a get rid of the stovepipes, get rid of those avenues, get a little more communication between them, allow the insider threat program to see into the cyber program, allow the cyber program to see into the insider threat program and use that business outcomes and drive to one mission. You're protecting users and network. Users and network. Data and systems. Mm-hmm. You're not, they shouldn't be, you know, right. stovepiped. They should be to, together. To Jared's point, we've got a breach. Hey, uh, we'll get back to you next week. That's insane. Exactly. And back to Jared's point, I keep thinking about him, Tony Starking. That just made my year. I know. Yeah, if he gets a flying suit, year, it's if day, I see it's him flying four, around, Come on. that's good. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, thanks so much, you guys. This has been a great conversation as always. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jared. Take care, buddy. All right. Bye. See you, Mike. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. 
more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 